morning. Our gospel passage that we'll be hearing today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and I will be reading from the NRSV updated edition. I'll be reading chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Could we hear these words? Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw God's Spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you bow and join me in prayer? Lord, would the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. Amen. You know me as Aaron Everett, Associate Pastor of Student Ministries here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. Back in high school, my days at Clearbrook High School in Friendswood, Texas, I was known as Yellow. I was known by this color moniker because my family name is Yellowvick. Y-E-L-O-V-I-C-H. You know me as Aaron Everett because when I got married to Lauren, we made a decision that we would combine our last names and choose a new name for us and our family. That is how you know me as Aaron Everett. So the name that I live by is Aaron David Yellowvick Everett. As Yellow, I was known in the school hallways as the kicker for the varsity football team. To many of the teachers and coaches, I was not the first but third Yellowvick brother to grace their classrooms. And I wasn't the only brother to have this name through school. This name tied me to my family, to my brothers. It was unique, and it stood out. It also cast me in the shadow of my brothers, and it placed real and sometimes imagined expectations upon me. Yellow wasn't the only nickname I had either. Some names were meant to tease me and get under my skin. Others were affectionate names from dear friends. I could spend the whole hour telling you of different names that I have been given and lived into over the years. And I wonder what new ones I will take on throughout the course of my life. And I'm positive that I've, I was to sit down with any one of you, you could sit and tell me stories of the names you've been given and how you've lived through them throughout your life. Because we all live by many names. And as your mind fills with these stories, I imagine you can also recall the names and the faces of people who gave you these names. Some were given to you with care and affection, great thought and consideration. Some were given to you that left scars. A name that I remember being given by my brothers to drive me wild was Aaron Red Baron Bagwell. Now, inherently, there's nothing horrible or malicious in this name, 
As I always liked pilots and planes, and we've all seen the comic strips and the videos of Snoopy flying his red doghouse, hacking out the feats of the ace German pilot. And the name Bagwell comes from my favorite childhood athlete, Jeff Bagwell of the Houston Astros. But it was the way they said it, and the way that they used it to tease me that really set me off. And it, once it started, I would be powerless to do anything about it. Have you ever been given a name that teases you or is an inaccurate label or a name that made you feel powerless, unable to escape and move beyond the shame that other people were casting on you? It could be hard to let the weight of a hurtful name go and allow ourselves to live into the truth of who we are. It could be hard to silence the shouts of bullying, shaming, and history to hear the primordial truth of who we are. The question before us today and every day is of all the names that we've been given, which are we going to live into? We are given many names, and when we choose to live by any one given name, we are choosing to tell our something about ourselves to the world. The struggle of answering the question, who am I, is a lifelong journey that changes with the stages of life and moves with our personal challenges. And answering the question of who we are in this, is this deep inner work of accepting and then proclaiming our identity. And we don't claim it to the world, but we claim it for ourselves. This answer should lead us to live into our true, authentic, loving, and loved selves, surrounded by a world full of people equally struggling to answer the same question. And if we take this question of self, of name, of identity, to the text today that we have read from Matthew, we come into a very similar question that the author of Matthew is trying to answer. Who is Jesus? Matthew has opened his biographical account of Jesus with a genealogy tracing his family line back to King David and to Abraham. His parents were instructed to name him Emmanuel, God with us. There are these magi that come from far away in the east to visit this baby that is to be hailed king of the Jews. The writer speaks of prophecy being fulfilled to convince his readers that who he speaks of is the Messiah, the anointed one who is to be the savior of God's people. When we find Jesus before John in the Jordan River to be baptized, I wonder what Matthew is trying to tell us about the identity of Jesus. What more does he have to say about who Jesus is? And sitting here listening to this story unfold, how is it going to help us along this journey of discovering who we are? The scene is set by John the baptizer, just having told off the Pharisees and Sadducees who came to witness his work of baptizing. Jesus abruptly appears before John with intentions to be baptized. John's response is awkwardly phrased, but nonetheless captures John's recognition that Jesus is the one he spoke of when he said, I am not even worthy to carry his sandals. Jesus assures John that he is sure of his intentions. He is to be baptized, and it is to be done by John himself. 
In answering John's weariness, Jesus speaks for the first time in the book of Matthew, using a peculiar phrase, to fulfill all righteousness. This righteousness is a tangible righteousness. It's the path which Jesus has been walking and will walk all the way to the cross. Jesus' righteousness is not concerned with the self and the individual, but rather with others and with the community. Righteousness to Jesus is concerned with taking action that accomplishes justice for those who can't get justice for themselves. To fulfill righteousness means to bring about justice for all, a way of living that meets the needs of the neighbor and the foreigner. Through this brief interaction, John consents and dumps Jesus into the sacred and storied waters of the Jordan. As the waters part at the service, as Jesus reemerges, the skies open, and like a dove, God's spirit settles on Jesus, coupled with a voice in which all present can hear. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Here, we are treated to an intersecting moment of the Trinitarian God, congregating and communing together. In a revelatory act, Jesus takes on the mantle of Christ, always Christ and never not Christ. This taking on is the proclaiming of the work to be done. Jesus' baptism is a launch pad into his public ministry and his ultimate journey to the cross. In baptism, Jesus is submitting to the law so that it might be fulfilled. The end of the story tells of Jesus' submitting to death so that death itself might be defeated. Jesus as God and human takes the path of humans, identifying himself with God's people and being baptized by them. In baptism, Jesus' identity as Messiah and the Christ is fully revealed so that he can begin the work of the Messiah and the Christ. The work of fulfilling righteousness. The work of bringing about the experience of justice for all. The work of revealing God to humanity and representing humanity before God. But without getting ahead of ourselves, it is vital to take note and appreciate what is happening now. In this moment in the water of the Jordan, what happens before any and all of this work is to take place? Before anything is accomplished, before anything is fulfilled, before Jesus is tempted and tried, before any works or teachings, before doing, the voice of God claims Jesus as child son, proclaims the love that is deeply held for him and affirms that by being, God receives pleasure. What a paradigm-shifting consideration to take in, that before doing anything, God has affirmed the pleasure that Jesus brings. Beneath all the labels and titles and names, at the core of Jesus is the identity of being God's dearly loved son. And when scorn, doubt, hatred, torture, disbelief, and the hurl of insults and abandonments come, the truth carries Jesus through when he knows what he must do. This is what is at the core of Jesus' identity. And the answer to who Jesus is, is the best answer to who am I. 
You too are God's child. God loves you, and you need God. And in fact, when we are baptized, this is what we are claiming to ourselves and to the witnesses of our baptism. I am a child of God, deeply beloved, who pleases the God who created me. And we are taking on a calling as verses like that. That calling is to join Jesus in fulfilling all righteousness, to bring equitable justice for all, to see God's kingdom here, now, among us, and forever. This is a calling to work from and through the truth of our name, the truth of our identity as beloved children of God. If we live every day with the strength of this truth that overpowers the shadows of performance and perfection, competition and comparison, and the shame and guilt used by others to motivate us to meet their ends, imagine what could change for the better around us. Imagine how our children might respond to us claiming them as ours, proclaiming our deep love for them and affirming the joy that we delight in when they bring to us just themselves. Imagine how our employees would respond to a workplace that values first what they bring to the company as a person before any contribution as workers. Imagine how your view of yourself might shift when you claim the name of God's beloved. The way you work, compete, and do can be drastically altered by the name you give the most attention to in your life. So of all the names that you have lived by, which are you going to choose to live by today? The name that Lauren and I chose has significant meaning for who I am. Everett comes from the smashing together different parts of our maiden name. Lauren's family name is Everett, E-V-E-R-E-T-T-E. Mine, as I mentioned, Yellowbet. But its spelling has been Americanized from the time that my great-grandfather emigrated from Croatia. The original spelling in the Croatian is J-E-L-A, V-I-C. And in Slavic languages like this, the I-C at the end of a name usually denotes child of. So when we combined our names, we took the Ever of Everett and the I-C of Yelovit to get Everett, which for us captures a deep meaning of who we are. Children of the forever, the almighty God, our creator by whom we are beloved. You too are beloved, and you too carry the truth that you are deeply 